Trades Work, the Rocky Mountain Mechanical Contractors Association podcast starts right now. Here's your host, Dave DeVito. Welcome back to Trades Work. I'm Monica Burton. I am guest hosting today and I'm Super excited to have a special guest on. Typically on our show, we highlight the skilled trades our society depends on and interview the folks that directly work in those trades. On this episode, we're shifting gears a little bit, and we are going to be talking to Joe Vostries, one of the founders and principals of City Street Investors. City Street turns spaces into places through transformative real estate investments and strategic business operations. Their custom crafting concept means they create projects that synchronize the needs and desires of a community with the investment in underappreciated assets, which we're excited to learn more about today. So thanks, Joe. Welcome. Hi there. Very cool. Well, I said earlier in your intro a second ago, custom crafting. What does that mean? What is custom crafting? Our company, City Street Investors, is um, a real estate investment company and a restaurant investment company. We do both. It's maybe little heavier on the real estate side than the restaurant side, but uh, we in- invest in both and operate both. And before we do a project, whether it's a restaurant or real estate, we do a, a deep dive into the location where we're considering our project. Okay. And we hold focus groups and bring in members of the community. They might live there, work there, go to school there, own a business there. We bring them in and we do a series of focus groups with them, make them fill out questionnaires and probe their brains and try and figure out what they need and desire in that location. And then we custom craft a solution for the real estate or the restaurant operation that coincides with what we learned from that process. When we think about, I think of that as stakeholder engagement. When I think about stakeholder engagement, it's from a public policy perspective. We don't really think about the fact that investments and buildings and construction have to engage their stakeholders too. Yeah, it's interesting though. Uh, you know, a lot of times stakeholder engagement feels like you're actually just trying to socialize an idea and sell them on it. Right. Our process is not like that. We literally want to know what do you want, what do you need, because if we provide that, we think we're more likely to have a good investment. Yeah. Stakeholdering, not fakeholdering, as one of my <laughs> friends likes to call it. I like that. I'm going to remember that one. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> What led you into this business? I mean, we all understand real estate investing. We understand the need for it in our city, but why did you guys want to do it this way? I think it was a little bit organic. You know, I'm a fourth generation Denver native. Um, My partners are both Denver natives. Um, We all live right here, blocks from where we from where we are right now, some of us. And we just really care about our community and Mm -hmm. we want to invest in the community. And we've had the luxury, I think, of being able to choose to do these kinds of projects. So I'm, you know, just don't have a lot of interested interest in developing, you know, utilitarian like gas stations. Right. Nothing wrong with developing gas stations. It's just not something that turns us on. So right. we tend to want to develop the kind of projects that we wish were in our neighborhood. It's both selfish <laughs> and uh, not selfish in the sense that we just figure if we would love and value this in our neighborhood, others probably would too. And we've had the privilege of being able mm-hmm. to do those kinds of projects without having to do like 
some of the stuff we'd rather not do. Yeah, there's there's boring things to build and there's fun things to build. Yeah, we prefer to do the fun things. Tell us about some of those projects. What are some of the most exciting projects you guys well, have done? Well, there's a bunch. I mean, the most obvious one that people would know us from is Denver Union Station. So cool. big project, partnered with McWinney and Sage Hospitality on that. But we programmed all the food and beverage and the retail and the great hall experience, everything that you see there. And that was a direct result of the focus group custom crafting thing that we did so if you walk into union station and wonder why there's so many bars and there's couches and chairs and you know tables that you can work at that all came out of the focus group Give because the people what they want people said they wanted to hang out there so well they specifically said they wanted to hang out there and drink and yes so we <laughs> custom crafted a hangout drinking spot and, hang out there drink, which is a little odd for a train station but it works there's coffee there's ice cream there's something for everything yep. for everyone at union yep. station When you do a project like Union Station, that's obviously a huge renovation that's taking a space that serves one purpose and making it into something else. When I think about what goes into that, I'm obviously immediately I'm going to go to, what does that mean for my contractors? What does that mean for my guys? Doing a renovation like that, what does it look like to bring on skilled trades, plumbers, pipe fitters, electricians, those folks that are doing kind of those secondary trades to make that space do something different? It is interesting. I'll tell you, we really rely on the trades in those cases for their expertise as opposed to necessarily their skill. You know, when you build something from the ground up, you know, in a greenfield, a brand new building, the architects and the engineers can pretty much design it right. and you know you just put it out to bid and somebody builds it. When you're doing these adaptive reuse projects, you got to bring the trades in because you're trying to figure out what to do with what's there and what's going to work and you just don't get a clean sheet of paper. So we got to right. bring the trades in and say, "How would you do this?" right? As opposed to just letting the engineers run wild because sure. it, they'll come up with solutions that are impractical and it ha- we learned that early on because you would do it and then you'd bring the trades in to bid it and they'd look at they'd look <laughs> at you and go are you crazy that's not like, gonna work this is not gonna work right so we now use the same reverse engineering approach that we do with custom crafting to working with our trades a lot is that we have trades that we have long relationships with a lot of trust and we'll bring them in and say, okay, what's the solution? And that we, I, a lot of times like to do that before we talk to the engineers. Absolutely. This is what we have. How do we make it work? And well, and then I can say, this is what we're thinking because if we just let them, you know, do it on their own, the solutions are, a lot of times impractical and way too expensive. Well, right. Impractical and incredibly costly, which changes the entire scope of the project, I would imagine. Yep. Doing those total repurposing is just, it's an entirely different game from new construction for sure. Because you're right. You're handed a set of blueprints. You know exactly where everything goes and you just build it. Yep. yep. It's much different. I know there's a couple of um, projects that you guys have done that I was surprised to hear about. You guys have turned a couple of 7-Elevens into restaurants. Yeah, uh, Teller's Tap Room and Kitchen out in uh, uh, the Golden neighborhood, okay. Applewood neighborhood, and then the uh, what was originally the Tag Burger Bar um, over in the Congress Park neighborhood was also a Seven Eleven, and there might be another one I'm forgetting about. But what you know. is the secret sauce in a Seven Eleven that makes you say this is perfect? We're uh, using they, this. They are not perfect. They are <laughs> far from perfect, but there's a lot of them, mm-hmm. and you know they come up on the market in and on a pretty frequent basis, it seems like, you know, they're, they're okay little buildings and you just hate to tear them down and start over. 
And the other thing that's interesting about them is that they're a lot of times in really interesting locations. They have a lot of corners, right? And we like corners. Absolutely. Easy um, access. And if they're not in corners, sometimes they're embedded into neighborhoods where they were really, you know, providing a service to that neighborhood. At some point, obviously, they became not relevant or 7-Eleven made a decision, oh, there's a better location two blocks away. Sure. And they, they'll walk away from their buildings. And then you got to decide what you know, what to do with them. And they're generally pretty good values. Mm -hmm. You know, you can usually find one of those that doesn't cost a gazillion dollars and then you, but then you got to figure out how to fix it. Well, and if I think about the layout of a 7-Eleven or any other type of convenience store, it's a pretty blank canvas. It's an open space. There's not a lot of other walls other than potentially offices and things. So is that helpful? It is. You know, they're just big blank canvases. They're Mm -hmm. rectangles or squares. Tellers was kind of fun because a lot of people don't realize this but if you go into tellers and you look at the back bar we put an antique back bar in there okay but we literally built the back bar in front of the beer cooler that was in the 7-eleven so if you can imagine going into a 7-eleven you have the coolers with the doors on them yes we basically took the doors off and built the bar back bar in front of it and used the existing system in the building um, and just filled it full of you know put in a tap system for the keg so we actually got some value out of that that didn't happen at the one in uh, uh, Congress Park. But, yeah, a lot of times there is infrastructure Absolutely. Um, that you can use. Now, they typically aren't going to have grease traps, and they're not going to have grease ducts and that kind of thing. But they usually have okay-sized water taps, and they have some infrastructure. they got parking lots. Yeah. Can and, you repurpose a Slurpee machine? <laughs> uh, you can, you know. Have you ever heard of Frosé? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> this is just making the most out of the resources you have I, in your hands. Yeah, I haven't had the opportunity to turn a Slurpee machine into a, a Frosé machine, but I think it could be just done. Something to think about. All you something do is to think add about. vodka and pink wine. <laughs> I would drink a Frosé out of a Slurpee machine, <laughs> and I would come from miles away. One of the other projects that I um, know that you guys worked on is Hangar 2 in Lowry. What was that project like? What made you guys decide to take that on as a project? The Hangar 2 project was a fun one and specifically took it on because I lived two blocks from there. Okay. And so, and we've lived there a long, long time and the property, Lowry was developing and getting built out all around this big five acre Hangar 2 project. And I bet you every developer in the city took a run at it and just couldn't figure it out. It's a 90,000 square foot clear span space, um, 90 feet tall had no heating, no air conditioning. It basically is a shade structure. Yep. And so how, what do you do with that? And so we went in and did our usual custom crafting thing and found out, you know, people didn't want something that was going to generate a huge amount of traffic or huge crowds of people. And the building department was, we hate this thing. It's like a fire hazard. If anything happened in here, we wouldn't know how to fight the fire. So we ended up basically crafting a solution around all those problems. The inside of the hangar is now a cell storage facility with about 700 units in it. Interesting. What's interesting about the solution there and the trades helped us with crafting this solution is it's a building in a building so it was kind of like building i don't want to say it was exactly like building a ship in a bottle because this was a really big bottle it's a large bottle <laughs> but, big opening but it, it, for all intents and purposes what's inside that building is another freestanding building and so we solved a lot of those problems by not trying to make the huge structure every inch of it meet code sure. like that you would for a normal building and so but fill, but the, the gap between the roof of 
the exterior roof of the self storage facility and the interior roof of the hangar is big. And there were some very creative solutions crafted for how to exhaust smoke and how to get heat out of there and stuff like that. But it was definitely a joint venture between some design build uh, trades and engineers and architects to craft all those solutions. But it works. And then we took the balance of the site and put in a bunch of more boutique-style restaurants and retail, which the neighborhood really wanted. But they're not so gigantic that it turned into you know, 10,000 cars and, you know, endless traffic and that kind of thing. So we crafted a solution that the neighborhood was really happy with. It is a really cool area. I've been to the coffee shops. I've been to the beer gardens over there. It's a very cool area. It sounds like, and to no surprise, doing the hangar, because it's not like an individually occupied space, the codes are different, but the amount of energy generated and the ventilating heat and getting, keeping the air moving in there is certainly a challenge. And I'm assuming you guys worked pretty hand in glove with HVAC contractors and plumbers and pipe fitters to get that work done as well. Yeah, we did. And in fact, ended up having to almost do some roundtables that included the building department and the fire department, you know, because they had very strong opinions about this building. And so part of the solution for it was to get everybody, nobody had ever done anything like this before. Like, how's this going to work? And so, you know, the fire department and the building department are telling you, are really good at telling you what you can't do. But, you know, we really needed the engineers and the contractors to, to tell us what's possible, what we can do. And then figure out a solution that was acceptable to the fire department, the building department, and so on. And it was complicated. It is complicated. Um, but we figured it out, and it, it actually works really well. The hangar's over 10 years old right now, and it really... Gosh, I can't believe that. ...performs flawlessly. So it, the systems that we devised did prove to be reliable. Yeah, sometimes the more complicated the project, the more cooks you have in the kitchen, the more people at the table, but oftentimes the better solution you come out with, because you did have all of those leaders and all of those professionals at the table. If you can get people who actually enjoy the challenge of solving those kinds of problems and kind of get into it and, sure. it, and they like that process like we do, usually comes out okay. Well, and it's interesting. We Part of our efforts as a trade association is to really market and talk about those cool things that our trades do to make Colorado awesome, to make this state the place where people want to work, live, and play. We're using the tagline this year, put Colorado first. It sounds like through this custom crafting process and through this engaging of all the different parties and people at the table, you guys have really prioritized that as well. You love the city. You love the state. You want to make it the best possible place to live. And you've had the opportunity to do that in some really cool and unique ways. We have, and we're grateful for that opportunity. We really are. We're hyper-local, focused really on, you know, just us doing things that, uh, that we would like in our neighborhoods. A little bit self-serving, but if we win uh, on that, then everybody else wins too. Yep. Well, then you're not making decisions just in a vacuum. It's not just what does Joe want in his neighborhood, but hey, Joe thinks this would be a cool idea in his neighborhood. Let's ask a bunch of other people if they agree or not. And find out exactly what it is they want, what it is that, um, that they value. If you do it right, people just fall in love with the things you've created and they become an essential part of their lived experience in their neighborhood. Yep. Of all the different projects you have worked on, what has been the most challenging? What project sticks out in your head that you're like, man, that one was hard. The one I'm working on right now. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it always the one we're doing right now? No, this one really is. So a couple years ago, we purchased the Evans School at 11th and Acoma. Okay. It's an old Denver public school that was built uh, around 1904, 1902. 
the building has been sitting vacant for 47 years, which is, I can't think of another building in Denver proper that has sat vacant that long. And it's a long story behind why it was vacant for so long, but trying to figure out how to redevelop that building and save it. Right. How much can you save? Beautifully intact. But the challenge between meeting current code and preserving the beautiful interior of the building, the beautiful exterior, and finding a use for it. You know, schools, they're pretty typical in their layout and design, and they don't necessarily translate to a lot of other uses. Definitely build with a function in mind. So getting it through the site development process with the city, getting it through the historic tax credit process. Really We're interesting. financing it with tax increment financing through the Denver Urban Renewal Authority. I mean, it's just, it's a super, super complicated project, both just in terms of the basics of it, as well as the financing of it, the programming of it, what it's going to be, which we don't even know yet, but That'll be um, it's, it's a hard one. And, um, uh, but we're having fun. It's like a little puzzle you got to solve. And We've been at it for a couple of years, and I think we're going to have a solution here pretty quick. I drive right by there all the time, so I will definitely follow what's we'll going on over there. People have gotten so used to seeing it because it's been sitting vacant just sitting there, there yeah. just dead for 50 or half a century that um, if you actually pause for a minute and look at it, you're like, holy shit, that is a beautiful That's building. cool. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going to take a closer look when I drive all by, right. and more importantly... I'm going to keep watching it to see what it becomes. That's really exciting. That's going to be a good thing for the city. We're sure of that. Awesome. Well, I know we're running short on time. I really appreciate you being on and talking about kind of how your work overlaps our work and just the awesome projects that you guys get to work on and that our contractors get to be a part of. I have one more question for you. I ask it of everyone. It's my favorite. When you were six, seven, eight-year-old Joe growing up in Denver, what did you want to be when you grew up? (laughs) Well... I wanted to, I always thought when I was that age, I actually thought I was going to grow up to be an artist. Absolutely. I loved art. I loved painting. I loved sculpture. I mean, I was just totally into it. I didn't get to do that, but the reality is, is that the process that we're in right now is super creative. Absolutely. And I get to use my creative outlets in this adaptive reuse stuff that we do, like fixing up old buildings and hangars and train stations. Your creative talents are stressed to their ultimate level like this is hard and you got to really get into it and have fun with it and so I really have gotten I'm not an artist in the conventional uh, sense but I sure get to use my creative powers to to the extent I'm able to well and you are creating (laughs) public art when you go into some of these spaces no one walks into Union Station and looks at it and says well this is really boring these are public works of art that's awesome in in a way and of course we're only building on what somebody else built before Mm -hmm. us but that's still in some ways, it makes it more challenging, right? Because it, if you can just start from a blank slate, you can do anything. But uh, putting limitations around it with the existing uh, structures and whatnot is, uh, is actually harder. Yeah. It takes more creative. More stretching. Here's what we have. What's possible? What can we do with it? That's very cool. Well, I'm so grateful for you spending the time. Thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to kind of keeping an eye on these projects and seeing what's next for you guys. Thank you. My pleasure. Absolutely. Stay tuned for more industry insights, news, and information about the men and women building our communities, our skylines, and our futures. Tradeswork is a production of the Rocky Mountain Mechanical Contractors Association. For more information about our organization, please visit rmmca.org.